Welcome to Tax and Super Australia's podcast, Tax Wrap, where we share developments, news and insights for all tax practitioners and SMSF professionals. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share. We'd love to hear back from you, so send questions and comments, even suggestions for guest speakers, to podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello listeners, welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode 172. I'm your host, Steve Burnham. And I'm joined today by uh, Michael McCarthy, who is the Senior Tax Specialist at Tax and Super Australia. Hello, Michael. Hi, Steve. How are you going? Pretty good. Um, now, um, listeners who have called in may have heard Michael's voice uh, answering a helpline call. Uh, there's also uh, Neil and Morella who, who take care of the helpline calls as well. But, um, Michael, you've been busy. I've been hearing you over the petition, answering a lot of calls from, uh, from our members and, and not others because members only get the, the helpline call service. Um, so what's been going down? What's been the uh, hot topics of the last couple of weeks? Yeah, plenty of queries, Steve, yeah. that have been coming through. The uh, Some of the main topics are residency, oh, whether right. you're a resident of Australia or not for tax purposes. That's yep. been uh, coming up a fair bit. All oh, right. Um, well, that's a, is that a time of year thing or you just probably get those kind of queries all the time, I, I'd imagine? I, I, I think it's with residency, it might be just a sign of the times these days with people moving so much overseas oh, and yeah, with yeah. job changes and, yep. and that sort of thing. So More global economy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's that's um, that's been one that. Uh, so just up. the question has been: Am I a resident, or is my client a resident, or not a resident? Is that the sort of thing they're after, or is it more specific on certain tax aspects of that? Uh, probably the, ma- the main question is, I suppose, a- am I or aren't I? That's mm-hmm. probably where it starts. Um, and then from that, the tax implications of that. Right. So, okay. but uh, yeah, am I a am I a resident? There's uh, plenty of different cases and references and yep. that sort of thing out there. Um, there's the tax office has a an online decision tool. Oh, yeah. Yep. Sometimes people use that and find that um, the conclusion that comes up is. Not sure. Oh, no. Okay. So they'll ring us and say, oh, I see. say yeah. you know, we've tried this and that's the result. Okay. Is it, did you have a particular case like that where they had a mixed result from the tool? Did have one. Last week there was one a lady rang yep. and she did have that. She had, uh, she tried it. Yep. It was a situation, uh, the wife was going overseas to work for a number of years. Yep. Uh, her mother was staying here. Her country of origin wasn't Australia. No. And, and all these things make a difference. Mm, mm. Uh, there's all different factors. There's a tax office ruling. I have it handy here, IT2650. Right. So that lists a lot of different factors. So there's no no one situation's the same it's as another. The same as another, okay. Yeah, yeah so yeah. things in, like... In this particular case, what was, I mean, without giving too much away, but how was, how was it, her situation resolved? Well, look, this was a situation where the her client was yep. going overseas and working overseas. Yep. It was, we mentioned a number of cases, cases that, look, a lot argued she was a resident of Australia. Right. But then the odd one might not. So it's it's a bit, I know it sounds a bit vague, mm. We because we don't give actual advice to say this oh, no, one or the no. other, um, yep. we sort of gave guidance along those lines. Yeah, yeah. this is a thing that I suppose listeners should be reminded of, that we, um, our technical people uh, in here aren't in a position to give direct advice, as in you should do this and you should do that, but they can um, sort out for you what the law states 
and uh, then it's kind of, I suppose, is it up to the, Michael, up to the listener, uh, to the caller to decide which way they go? It's up to the... Or to the caller and the client. So, yes, yeah, yep. so, so what's going to happen is, and I think within tax you're trying to get a, uh, like a reasonably arguable position. Yep. That the stance you take. Uh, a lot of times the, the agent will say to the client, look, this is, this is what I've got, this is what I've found out. Yep. It can be supported... Uh, like in this case, it can be supported. You may be a resident for tax purposes, oh, yeah. but yeah. the tax office could argue you're not. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you've got that situation. But I suppose the important thing is, well, then to avoid penalties or anything else, those kind of implications, if you can say, um, I've got this tax ruling, blah, 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 which states this is the case, and I believe that this is the situation for my client, then you're covered. Exactly. Okay. So uh, yeah. y- Yes, yeah. So that's you've got that. Yeah. You've also got... Uh, there's time limits for amending. So oh, okay. sometimes if you are doing, let's say, that sort of situation, and I've been in that situation where you can say, well, look, you'll do the tax office online questionnaire and it'll yeah. print out not certain or oh, right. uh, you'll look into the different rulings and cases and, yep. of course, the, the tax law on it, and uh, you'll get your position. But, you know, as I say, when you're looking through, you'll you might find references that go one way or the other so okay. yeah it's so it's a situation where the client that you'll go to the client maybe and say well this is how it is mm-hmm. uh, if you want certainty you may be able to apply to the or you can apply to the tax office for a private ruling oh yeah yep. not obliged to but um uh, everybody's different somebody might say no look i need certainty with this you know i need to sleep at night and know that hmm. you know that's, that's depends on how much money's involved as well i suppose well yeah look being out there i suppose you'll find with tax agents there's costs involved of doing these things oh, so, yeah, yeah. and the client um, will weigh that up as well so mm, mm. Um, one of the reasons residency was mentioned too I did come across one of our roles at the uh, tax and super is putting in submissions for tax That's um, right. different tax laws and uh, trying to um, make it simpler for small business and individuals and tax agents and the rules are quite complicated Uh, with non-residents it did come up that the board of taxation were looking at how to i think even like simplify those rules because i've just said that you can get on an online um uh, questionnaire and still not get the answer yeah yeah Uh, it's frustrating which can be frustrating Mm. yeah and it leaves everybody maybe in a position of well you've got that you know, in the event of an audit or how will this work? That's how right. will this yeah. So I noticed they did... This is the Board at, of Taxation. This is the Board of Taxation. Yep. Yeah, they did a, um, they call it here, a self-initiated review of the current individual tax residency rules. Mm-hmm. Now, that was back in 2016. They came up with some, uh, I suppose, some suggestions or recommendations on what they thought may assist in helping us along our way yep, and determining yep. residency and non-residency. Uh, that did receive a government response, yep. and I think, and don't take this as gospel, so I'm not too sure on the uh, process of this, but from what I can gather is that uh, they haven't taken a position at the moment on uh, whether there'll be any changes. The government hasn't? Not, not oh. as we speak, okay. as far as I know, reading. Right. Uh, and I think they're looking into it just a bit further to to say, look, there's a few options out there. Yeah. Let, let's have a look a little bit further just to see that they well, all... Yeah, obviously it must be an issue. If people are ringing in and ta- you know, tax practitioners are you know, 
questioning us, and I'm sure they're questioning a whole lot of other sources of information about residency and non-residency, it's got a, obviously an issue that needs to be clarified. Uh, I think the Board of Taxation is probably onto something there that, uh, you know, that needs to be sorted out. And as you mentioned in, in the introduction, um, it's a more of a global economy. People are moving overseas a lot more easily. It's, it's really got to have some clarity. Yeah, um, yeah. It's got lots of uh, different implications. Capital gains tax, you know, the assets ah, you own okay. in Australia and overseas. And yep. So, you know, once, once you get past that question of are you or aren't you, mm-hmm. then, <laughs> then it kicks in, OK, this is the, the tax rules. Yep. how it applies to yeah, your income and your assets. So, um, do, do you, do you, have you had any particular calls that have got CGT implications because of residency? Or I'm just wondering what other helpline calls were involved with the... There was one. Uh, Morella took this one. And this, right. Look, some of them, they, uh, you know, after discussion and uh, uh, with the different tax team and uh, and even they venture into the discussion groups that, uh, oh, yeah, are run that by Tax and Super. Yep. Yeah, so and it's quite interesting when you... Throw twenty tax agents in the <laughs> in the ring. How you know ten or so? Well, and no one's got a definitive answer, but it, they all got their own opinion. Well, yeah, yeah. So, and and you can see with the residency and non-residency, that's it is a bit of that. You know, it's a bit of you know, there's oh, yeah. no. I think uh, years ago, I think they even had like if you're away for more than two years, that was like a good rule of thumb. Oh, yeah, that's right. But yeah. um, but in recent times, I don't know how much weight that now holds. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, there might be other factors. Yep. Yeah. Um, there was uh, just when you when you said yeah was there an issue? This one was uh, and something I didn't realise is always something coming up you don't know about. But mm-hmm. this was a non-resident trustee. Yeah. So even these days, I suppose with as part of a deceased estate. So with I see wills. It might be there's an executor out there that's a all oh, right a non uh, non-resident. And I, this was one where if the assets are passing to a non-resident oh yeah that there is a taxing point and mm-hmm. that taxing point is the in the final uh, deceased tax return okay yep which is different to thinking it sort of passes through the um the trust estate or, yeah yeah as the yeah, assets are passed over yeah. okay so it's in the tr- the deceased estate final return where the taxing point happens. The deceased estate final return, there's, okay. a, there's a capital gains tax event K3. Yeah, so what K3 says, if uh, a taxpayer dies and a capital gains tax asset passes to a beneficiary that's either an exempt entity, uh, the trustee of a complying super fund, yep. um, or is not an Australian resident, if it is that the asset passes to a beneficiary that it's not a resident, CGT event K3 happens. Yeah, only if the deceased taxpayer was a re- resident and the asset in the hands of the beneficiary is not taxable Australian property. Right. Now, the time for that CGT event K3 is just before the taxpayer dies. So that's the oh. reason it, it goes in the uh, final tax return. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, the taxpayer makes a capital gain from CGT event K3 if the market value of the asset on the day the taxpayer payer dies is more than its cost base so that's okay. the capital gain yeah yeah okay well i suppose that so that's um uh, just one aspect of the residency and non-residency having a, an influence on how much you're taxed or the client is taxed yeah. exactly so yes yeah. yes okay okay and what else has been coming down the helpline uh for you guys uh things like com- commercial property sale of commercial property right and the small business concessions, so how they tie in with commercial property. Yep. Often a commercial property is held in a different entity. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And the business is run in another entity. So some of the questions have come through 
to just query would the capital gains tax concessions apply in certain situations. What situations were they? Were these? Uh, there was one where you've got the owners of the property might be uh, Mr and Mrs and then Mr and Mrs again, so 50% oh, by yeah. each family. Yep. Um, some of these, you know, in a case where one of the partners has passed away and you've got issues of just following through the the ownership oh, yeah. up to um up to up to date and in those situations there was one where the business was conducted in a unit trust the 50 percent family ownership no longer operated or owned the business they used to but they sold their share in the business oh, i see so uh, that query was well you've got two family owners where do they stand? One may have had an entitlement, right? Being being able to still connect to the business. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the other had lost that connection because it went to a unit trust. You see, uh, unit trust, and they talk about a connected entity rule. If you can control that business oh, right. by, uh, they have a forty percent test. Huh. So okay. uh, that test, you know, arguably was satisfied by one family member, but not the other, by him not having ownership. Even like even by okay, well that, that's a good clue. So when some, a client comes to you with that situation, it's the ownership is kind of the, one of the cracks, is one of the that, key that's, things. That's one of the things, yeah. So right. that uh, that applied in that case. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what else has been going down? Look, there's, there's uh, so many different things that do come up. It's quite amazing when you have your own little base. You get in your own little. Uh, world of what your clients are doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you're behind the uh, phone for the uh, members' helpline, you're dealing with so thousands of different people out there, I suppose, that have all their different things happening. Yeah. So, uh, look, again, but with this uh, small business concessions, um, just those in themselves, how they apply. It's for uh, them, isn't there? Four of them. Yep. Yep, yep. So the 15-year, the 50% active asset, retirement exemption and rollover, how they apply, the order they apply, uh, there was a good webinar that I had the chance to see that, again, recently we had here with uh, Ken Mansell. Oh, with, yeah. And, and that flowed it through, which was interesting as to, yes, you're choosing the concessions today, but one day that entity may need to be wound up. Oh, yeah, And course. what's the tax implications at that point of time? Oh, of course. So sometimes you might get a good result today. Yeah. And not realise maybe, or we're winding up the company now and the money's to come out of the company. Yeah, or yeah. how does it... Um, how does it come out? And there sometimes can be tax consequences okay. that happen that way. So that was good. That was a good uh, putting it all together, I suppose. Yeah, like we make yeah. the decision sometimes with tax based on today and saving a dollar exactly. today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as I say, then sometimes in the years down the track, or when the funds are to be extracted from the I company, suppose that ownership thing would come into it because you might think, oh, it's a smart move to have the business owned by a trust now, but then accessing a small business concession, as you said, down the track. Yes, may not, may not apply, or m- may apply differently to what you imagined. It it can, yeah. There mm. could be. Uh, you might get the concessions at the time, and then you might find okay. And probably an example, let's say, is the fifty percent active asset oh, yeah. reduction. So all of a sudden, you might have half of a gain that's been subject to tax. Mm. So the funds can come out if it's in a company, might come out with tax paid. Oh, yeah. But you've got the other half haven't had tax paid mm. and sometimes getting those out of a company uh, without the tax paid means the tax can be 
what need to be born at the end. Oh, right. And, yep. uh, but then, yes, that may, when maybe choosing the different options might give you a better result yep. Um, yep. at the end. Okay. PSI rules regularly. Personal services income. Personal you get a, is that a regular call, go-to, is it? Yeah, 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 I really. think so. Yeah, yeah. And they're, and they're um, you know, your, your small business, your sole traders. Yeah, your, yeah. Um, so that's that's one that yeah you'll regularly get something on it. That's um, again again one where the rules are not crystal clear, not clear cut enough. I think what what is personal services income? I mean I know it kind of there is a test and there are factors to tell you if it is a PSI or not, um, and are you a personal services entity or not? But um, what sort of questions do they come up with like like that like? Am I earning PSI or not? Or it, it is a bit like this is our situation, and uh, you know, again, sometimes you'll need all the references to put together to yep. determine. You know, are you produ- producing a result or hourly rate? Or um, so you go through the flow chart of are you or, or aren't you? Yep. Yeah. One of the things that did arise was then at the very end of it, and I notice it's in it's in our flow chart. It's in. It's nearly like, okay, once you tick the boxes off and you get to the end and you say, okay, we are a personal services business, yep. which means we're not limited to our certain tax deductions. Yep. But even then at the end it says, now, you're a personal services business, but watch Part 4A or consider oh. Part 4A. It's probably saying if you do anything with the sole or dominant purpose of saving tax, yep. Look, look out. We could. Uh, oh, okay. We could. We could look at it. Or look. There's not a lot of cases with Part Four A, but it does. It does get mentioned. Right. And I think the example is if you think you've crossed the law, uh, or dotted your t- dotted your eyes, and you're you're a personal services business. Yeah. And you might you might have income in a in an entity that say, okay, we can now share that amongst family members if it's a discretionary trust or uh, distribute it the most tax effective way. Part 4A is just there hovering oh, to maybe dear. say, just because you've <laughs> looking over your shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> just one of those things with taxes like, well, you're over the line until, you know, unless we maybe knock on your door and hmm. have a look. But that's uh, PSI. Uh, look, main residence exemption queries. Uh, again, with deceased estates, they, um, they come up a bit. The two hectare rule. Where what, what's the two hectare rule? Two hectares, so people with their own home that might be on more than two hectares of land. Uh, the exemption only applies to the capital gains tax exemption to the two hectares. Oh, okay. So yep. that's, uh, and there was a ruling we, or a TD, we looked at that um, where you can choose which part, somebody might be on 10 hectares of land or whatever, you can oh, choose the which land, part the, yeah. which part is eligible for the um, CGT main residence okay. exemption. I assume the part with the building on it, but... It yeah, may, and, and that not. is all. Yeah, so yeah. part with the buildings and the land under that. That's that's right. Part of it, and then yep. yeah. Um, uh, Div seven A is a very common one. I probably should have put that at the top. Oh, Div really? 7A. Yeah, that's that, a big that's, one. Yeah, that that's a, a common one for all yep. the um, uh, different situations of when funds are taken out of an entity yeah. or a company that or a company giving a loan to an employee uh, and all that sort of thing. And yeah, um, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. So the directors' loans, and if they're in. Uh, a situation where they owe the company money, yeah, um, yeah, they become issues. Okay. What uh, particular question did you have on Div Seven A's that, uh, uh, or particular hotline call? Did you have one? We've had, we've got one actually going at the moment. That's with Div Seven A, and that one's a bit more in it that a family member is going to advance money to a company, right? 
and interest-free. And we would have thought that if you advance money to a company, that's the opposite of the company advancing you money. Yeah, it's true. So that's we're scratching our heads a bit with that one. But the uh, look, and a lot of times the helpline calls, you know, a lot of research has been done at the other end and sometimes it's a bit like looking in it and saying, yeah, we can't argue with that. Or, oh, right. Yeah. Um, but this one was a situation where it did have, a, I think, a time limit on the repayments. Yep. And there's a section of the Act, and I don't have it handy, Steve, but it's nearly saying we'll treat this maybe as not as a debt interest, mm-hmm. but equity, an equity interest. Okay. And yep. one of the, or oh, some of the information actually that came through from the member was they'd stumbled across something that said, well, those payments may be treated as Div 7A payments. Now, that's probably not making a lot of sense for me saying <laughs> yeah, this, oh, but yeah. that's, okay. it's, it's unless, unless the loan is treated as maybe like a genuine loan, which means you've got to put everything have a loan agreement and all agreements yeah, and all that yep. sort of thing. Uh, normally, there's a carve out for at call loans. So when an entity owes you oh. money and it's at call, yeah. there's no conditions or anything like that. Well, I think they've even got like a twenty million turnover test or something, so it doesn't rear its head with the small small business, yeah, small entities. business. Okay. But in this case, arguably, it wasn't an at call loan. <laughs> like it might have had, you know, you want to sometimes you do want to oh, secure okay. your own loans to you, is, is this companies. Ongoing this uh, query. This, this is one just pending. But when you oh, just mentioned, well. oh, it's topical. We're just having a little look at that <laughs> being the situation of the. Um, you know, maybe calling it an equity interest. Yeah, I don't know if I explained that that, that that well, but it's just something that reared its head to say, yeah, oh, yeah. hang on, that's a bit different. To yeah, that's different to what you would the expect. The normal Div 7A. <laughs> so we really don't have an, an outcome on that, but it was yeah. just something to say this is... Uh, it's another interpretation that gets uh, It's an around. interpretation actually from the member who's just provided oh, information yeah. and said, this is how I'm reading this. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So it's something for... Well, this is the thing, you're getting queries not from people on the street it's someone who's in a practitioner they you know have a query coming from their own client so it's not going to be a uninformed question is it no, it's going to no, come from no, a very informed no. uh, uh, yes. place yes okay yeah okay michael well that's uh you get some curly ones over there in the tax technical team you and morello and neil definitely um, so yeah definitely so, so every now and then we'll come back and and drill you you know drill you on what uh, what's been going down on the phone lines Always good to know. All right, listeners, um, don't go away. I'll be right back. Okay, and I'm back. Just me now um, with a, uh, a WTF wacky tax fact, which we haven't had for a little while. But um, I found one which I thought was interesting. I was just reading the, um, well, the latest taxpayer, the August 2018 edition, uh, which should be out in the first week of August or thereabouts, maybe about the 10th. Um, members will get the magazine, the taxpayer, which has a story written by David Ebden on the commercial debt forgiveness provisions, um, which is interesting in itself. But um, mentioned in there are that there are specific exclusions from the definition of, quote, forgiveness, uh, and among them, one that uh, a specific exclusion is when it, where debt is forgiven because of natural love and affection. They're the words that are used because of natural love and affection. Actually, I heard Ken Mansell use this uh, those words uh, at a webinar just recently, but um, you know, I'm assuming this is about this same uh, ruling. Uh, 
not a ruling, sorry, an interpretive, interpretative decision. Not interpretive decision. Uh, Letty Chen, at, uh, now at Taxbanter, put me onto that. I always just say interpretive decision, but it's the interpretative decision. ID 2003-589, specifically. 2003-589. So a debt can be forgiven through natural love and affection and it get, gets away from this commercial debt forgiveness provisions by, by being forgiven because of, because of natural love and affection. Now, I would have assumed that this would be like, you know, like a kind uncle forgiving a nephew a debt. Said, oh, young whippersnapper, here you go. You don't have to, don't have to pay the money. But no, uh, ID 2003-589 actually says that a company can forgive a debt for reasons of natural love and affection. Yes. And the ID states, so I'll just read a little bit here, that um, just in case you want to look it up, paragraph 245-40 bracket C of Schedule 2C of the ITAA 36 um, operates to cause the schedule not to apply, this is the commercial debt forgiveness, not to apply to commercial debt, which is forgiven by a company because of the company director's love and affection towards the debtor. So the ID says, yes, this can happen. Um, if the only reason, if the reason for the, for the forgiveness is natural love and affection, then okay, game on. The facts that they quote in the ID state that um, a debtor, a natural person, incurred a debt in the form of a loan from a company. Um, the debt was a commercial debt for the purposes of the rules. Um, and the creditors' directors... Uh, for reasons of their natural love and affection for the debtor, the, even though the debtor was able to repay the debt at the time of forgi- forgiveness and was not an employee of the company, and that FBT was not payable in respect of the forgiveness, um, the debt was allowed to be forgiven uh, because, as the ID says, the paragraph, re- relevant paragraph, does not specify that a creditor must be a natural person. It only requires that the debt was, quote, Forgiven for reasons of natural love and affection. So there you go. You can have natural love and affection for an entity that is not a person. You can have a love and affection for a company or some such. I just thought that was a wacky tax fact. I don't know why. It just tickled my fancy. All right. Uh, that's the end of this podcast, episode 172. I'm Steve Burnham, and um, I hope you come back and listen to us next time. <laughs>